Thank you for listening to Play On, the podcast of the Utah Shakespeare Festival. Today, we're thrilled to have a conversation with Brian Vaughn. Brian is the director of this season's production of Henry IV, Part One, and he's also playing the baker in Into the Woods. Brian is co-artistic director of the Utah Shakespeare Festival with David Ivers. Brian graduated in theater and dance right here from Southern Utah University. And for the past 15 years, he's been a company member at the Utah Shakespeare Festival, as well as working frequently at the Milwaukee Repertory Theater. Brian Vaughn, thanks for being here. It's a my, pleasure. My pleasure. I'm glad to be here. All right on. I, <laughs> I don't want to dig into your personal life, you know, per se, but you sure actually... Sure you do. <laughs> okay, yeah, I do. <laughs> Uh, you know, people like these stories. Uh, you met your wife, Melinda, here at the festival. I did, yeah. I don't expect yeah. you to tell, you know, the whole story, but you've actually had the opportunity to, to work, to, to act on stage with her. And I wonder it, if maybe you could tell us what that's like. It's, uh, it's great, actually. Uh, you know, I, um, I, we did meet here. I, we actually met at a university function here, like, many, many years ago, uh, Thunderbird Awards, and I was actually the host of Thunderbird Awards, and she was up for Performer of the Year. This was back when she was in school here, and I, I, I'm not gonna lie, I was sort of checking her out from afar, like, yeah. who's that? Who's that blondie over there? <laughs> and uh, and then it wasn't until many years later, actually, that we worked together uh, in a production of Pirates of Penzance here. Cool. And uh, I played the Pirate King, and she was one of the daughters, and. Uh, the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, we started dating that summer, and um, yeah, I love work. I love being on stage with her. I mean, I've had a, a couple opportunities to work opposite her. We did Cyrano here, and awesome. She played Roxanne, and then we did um, Leontes and Hermione, which was intense and yeah. uh, and beautiful. And then we're getting to work together this summer, doing the Baker and the Baker's Wife and Into the Woods. And into so. the Woods, that's amazing. Yeah, she's easy to work with. I gotta say, um, that's good. You know, she's. First off, a fabulous actress, so that helps. But all that aside, she's also really giving on stage and yeah. you know, a great listener and very present. And yeah, yeah. Um, so it makes it easy. We try not to take it home, though. We don't. We, yeah, yeah. We well, don't take the plays home with us. That's it's, good. Well, yeah, at least uh, you're too get busy to... trying to you know pour cereal and stuff like that for our, <laughs> for our kids. At least you get to see her work. I mean, I know you're pretty busy here, especially this summer, man, with the yeah. administrative duties and. Uh, directing Henry, yeah, and performing and in Into the Woods. I mean, yeah. sometimes I feel like I, I should send your regards when I see when I see her walking <laughs> around. <laughs> no, it's been you know I was uh, I was a little nervous about it to, at the forefront just because uh -huh. it is a, a lot to chew. But yeah. um, you know because of the repertory element of what we do here, I'm actually quite used to it. Having spent cool. many years here where you're doing more than one show at a time, sometimes yeah. three plays at a time. It's sort of the same thing. You just have to know when to wear your hat at the right time. Mm -hmm. And um, and I like being inside the acting company a little bit, both on stage and off. And yeah, yeah. I, I really love that about the work. It's a collaborative art form. And mm -hmm. so I love being able to um, both sit out in front of the lights and amongst them. So. Yeah. D uh, David Ivers said, we, we talked to David a couple weeks ago, that there's something about repertory. There's an energy. You know, kind of for everyone involved, because everyone's, like you said, wearing a lot of different hats. Yeah. And, and it's kind of different than doing, doing just a single run. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's um, it's just a different, uh, you're just flexing different muscles more than anything, I find. Yeah. I also find that a lot of the, both the performers and the designers, actually, also, they just get to show another side of what they do, cool. primarily, in, in yeah. the simplest form. 
being able to play, you know, a leading role one night and then the next afternoon maybe play a supporting part to support mm-hmm. somebody else in the work. Yeah. There's just a lot of give and take and it, it takes much of the ego out of the work also. Yeah. And um, it is truly about collaboration and ensemble, which That's awesome. is really the heartbeat of what we do. Mm. And, um, and it's actually a dying um, form repertory, true repertory theater. I mean, yeah. most theaters aren't doing repertory theater. That's and true. Because we're a summer festival, that, that element of um, people have to come here, they, have to, yeah. they stay here for three days, and uh, it's just a, a different type of, of theatrical form and one that I think we've been doing very well. So, so between uh, all your, uh, you've got to be close to, I think, 50 roles now for the Utah Shakespeare Festival over the years, right? Gosh, I don't know. And then you've probably, over 14 years with Milwaukee Rep, you've worked uh-huh. 40-ish, right? Yeah, do, yeah. Do you ever, do you, have you woken up yet one morning and said, I've now seen every curveball Rep Theater can throw at me? Or are you constantly surprised? I wish I had. I am constantly, <laughs> constantly surprised by it. Uh, oh, that's, that's both good and bad, right? Yeah. You know, and it's... um. It's like that old adage, too, that it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, you know, and it's about endurance. And sort of the beauty of the work, too, is that uh, as you age, new things come about and new experiences and new um, new roles, different different elements of yourself come into the work, which I always find illuminating and uh, challenging. Henry the Henry the fourth part one. Yeah. Uh, it seems to be one of the most popular histories. I, you know, I did some homework on the play, and it's since the time it was originally performed. I mean, pretty much throughout history, it's been one of the histories people cling to, and a lot of people seem to have uh, some apprehension towards some of the history plays. They feel like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta do my homework. I gotta break yeah. out my history textbooks. But with Henry the Fourth Part One, it seems like some of that anxiety is, you know, isn't as intense. What do, you, what do you think it is? And you, I mean, you've played Hal. I have. Uh, yeah. You've played uh, Hotspur. Yeah. And now you're directing the play. Yeah. So if anybody has uh, something to offer about why this is such a good play, it'd be you. It's a fabulous play, actually. Um, it's actually one of my favorite Shakespeare plays, uh, oddly, you know, and mm-hmm. I certainly, and um, you know, up there with Hamlet and, and yeah, you know, Much Ado and King Lear, some of these plays that are just you know I believe really well structured. But the thing about I think that really resonates with this play as a history play. Is that it doesn't feel like a history play. Yeah. You know, it, it feels just like a great play. Uh-huh. And the history part of it is just the situation and the scenario that they're in. But that it's dealing with kings and commoners, and mm-hmm. it's dealing with the everyman in the midst of, um, you know, a political situation. Yeah. And at the heart of it, I think, is Hal, who obviously is the person who straddles these sort of yeah. four worlds in the play. That I think the audience recognizes, yeah. and um, in its simplest form, it's about fathers and sons, and it's about growing old, and about youth, mm-hmm. and curbing rebellion in yeah. in in all forms, yeah. both on a political front and a domestic front, and it's also about celebrating life, and um, yeah. that's the Falstaff component of it, that element of embracing things that are in front of you. Yeah. And how, 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 say that, <laughs> say that five times, uh, how, how, Prince Hal yeah. finds his mark on his journey, which is that of the heir to the throne, of taking the human connection and bringing it into him as a leader. Yeah, yeah. And 
It's a really incredible play. You know, it's sort of equal parts comedy, equal parts tragedy. I like to think of it as um, kind of the Shakespeare's blockbuster film in many ways <laughs> be because it's half in prose, half in verse. Uh -huh. There are, you know, great battle scenes in it yeah. and then these rollicking tavern scenes where people are making fun of each other and they're throwing yeah. all these body jokes and and they're calling one-upping each other left and right and then there's this beautiful love story in the middle of it all it is definitely the blockbuster film and i think one of the things why it has resonated over time so much is that it it embodies all elements of society that yeah. it's not just about royalty that yeah. it's also about the common man I keep thinking of that as I'm working on it too, about what it must have been like for for Shakespeare's audience to see that play at the time, yeah. and how he wrote about a historical moment in English history, but he sort of changed elements of it dramatically yeah. Yeah. for dramatic structure and. Well, and he wasn't that far removed from from these events, you know, so that these were people would be aware of some of the things. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. and. You know, even historically, Hotspur and, and Prince Hal, they were not the same age. Yeah. Hotspur was considerably older than Hal. But how Shakespeare changed that and made them contemporaries to yeah. one another, that it literally becomes two sides of the same young man. Um, one who is embodying honor and chivalry in Hotspur and the other who is sort of having this, you know, sort of free-for-all and yeah. sort of debauchery and sort of rebellious, callow youth. Yeah. But underneath that is this potential of a great leader who, who has that element of chivalry in him. and It's just fabulous writing, for one thing, mm -hmm. um, and very savvy as a playwright to kind of take all those political things and yeah, make yeah. it really about the human heart underneath all of that. Mm -hmm. and that's the thing, the misconception, I think, with the history plays a lot of the times is people think that they're bigger than who they are as an audience member. Mm -hmm that they won't get all the names or they don't know all the political story beforehand. Exactly. Yeah. And all that stuff really doesn't matter in it's many ways. It's about characters. It's right? about character. It's about yeah. ambition and uh, revenge and honor. And that, no matter who you are, those things will continue to resonate. And That's awesome. It's, and it's really just a big family soap opera in many ways, yeah. played out over many years. And then, of course, with the, the War of the Roses and all of that in there and this people jockeying for position yeah and um and how their family has a stake in that yeah the buddy story element between falstaff and how yeah <clears throat> you mentioned the sort of debauchery how dabbles in mm -hmm. you know you see that kind of in the first you know two-thirds of the play a little yeah. bit and but there's a kind of always a sense isn't there that how is self-aware that, that he's of what he's doing and what what he ultimately needs to become yeah right he is, definitely. And, you know, some people have called him Machiavellian in the sense that he's sort of doing this knowing he's going to be the other. And I don't really think that that's the case at all. Mm -hmm. I think it's just a matter of time and when the moment comes to step, step up. Yeah. I also think he's beginning the play in a place of uncertainty because he is the direct product of a crime, really. Yeah. And that his father usurped the crown from mm -hmm. Richard. The first bowling broke. Yeah. yeah, and it all sits on Prince Hal as yeah. the future heir to the throne. And what that relationship is with his father, his own feelings about why his dad did that, and the situation that it put Hal in and their family and their yeah. legacy. Hal is the person who has to pick up the mantle. 
Yeah. So I think he's starting to play with a sense of a chip on his shoulder and the sense of why, why do I have to, why am I chosen for this path? Why? Mm -hmm. And part of that path will be about understanding the people around him, um, which I think we see over part one and part two and then into Henry V, yeah. which literally becomes a battle of conscience for mm -hmm. him about right and wrong. Um, there's, there's a lot of anxiety there, though, too. I mean, because you see... He's, he's seen his father, I mean, usurp the throne, mm -hmm. and some of the same people that helped him come into power are some of the same people, you know, inside of 30 years uh, that, that are now, you know, trying to push him aside. Yeah. So, I mean, that's got to be incredibly overwhelming, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, and that's, the, you know, this uh, that's Henry's journey through the play yeah. also, is he mm -hmm. himself beginning to play troubled and trying to redeem the act of... Mm -hmm not only usurping the crown, but possibly murdering Richard or uh -huh. having him murdered, you know, yeah. according to Shakespeare, having him murdered or potentially having him offed. He's beginning to play with tremendous guilt. Yeah. And the whole beginning of the play is him saying, I must make a venture to the Holy Land to redeem myself. Mm -hmm. But he never is able to do that because the circumstances are coming back Sort of conflict to get after him. conflict after conflict. Yeah. yeah, which is all those people saying, what about me? What about me? Mm -hmm. You know, and the rebellion that happens in the play with the Percys and that family of getting what they deserve. And that's yeah. another thing, a big theme in the play about people getting the thing that they deserve through the yeah. course of, of the play. Um, and the idea of robbing and right and wrong in many ways and, and paying people back. That's a yeah. big thing in the play people being paid what they owe. That's part of the, a lot of the jokes with Falstaff even, is where they sort of pay him back for his, you know, his stories by, by robbing him. Right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And that's the, I mean, that Hal is sort of sitting, you know, on both sides of that, seeing Falstaff, who literally becomes a surrogate father for him in the sense yeah. of the other side of the coin of the man. Falstaff actually says some pretty straightforward succinct things yeah about honor means nothing in the end what does honor get you absolutely nothing air as he says that to die for a cause that's really going to do nothing for you in the end yeah. yeah where's the value in that yeah the value and that's again the thing that that I think Howe is learning through the whole process. That again, he will himself question that very thing in Henry V when he says, upon the king. Yeah, yeah. Let us, our lives, our debts, our souls, our careful wives, all of that lives on the individual. We must bear all. How do you lead? How do you forward a nation? How do you reconcile this legacy? Exactly. Yeah. And it's a tremendous journey. I mean, it really is a tremendous arc over these four plays. I'll call them four plays in the Henry ad cycle, yeah. beginning with Richard II to Henry V. Yeah. Of seeing one person sort of compartmentalize all of those issues and mm -hmm. manifest itself into action is really tremendous to see. How um, much happened for this to even to get where, we, where they ended up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the face of adversity, you know, at the Battle of Agincourt, yeah. how he will lead his men to believe in themselves, who they yeah. are, to overcome this you know, huge army at their precipice. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned honor, because it seems, I mean, from the three plays, uh, honor or virtue or you know, some form of that concept, uh, Shakespeare almost seems to beat us over the head with it. 
almost every character of significance has something to say about this. And that's as a director. I mean, you're you're directing this now for the first time. Right. Um, how do you how do you reconcile that? There's so many people with so much to say about this big idea. Yeah. It's, well, and it certainly resonates now with contemporary society. I mean, yeah. you think of where we are as a nation right now, and, mm -hmm. and um, being in the middle of a war. Yeah. Wars for the past you know ten years to plus. Yeah. That same idea of what that is, what that means, honor, mm -hmm. you know, um, for each individual. The, I think the play also examines two forms of chivalry, and, and in many ways, the sort of very medieval idea of honor, which is the guy on the battlefield yeah. sitting on the horse. As Hotspur says, when I am a horseback, I will swear I love thee infinitely. Yeah. That idea of what that means. In, in the as a soldier, and then there's the other young man about right and wrong, about doing mm -hmm. something for the betterment for other people. Yeah. And it's a, a fabulous examination of the word. It, it's bigger than all of us, too, which yeah. I find in the play. And it's also filled with both sides of the coin. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of beauty about Shakespeare is he can have it both ways a lot of the time. <laughs> in a world where people don't want to have it both ways. They yeah. want it very black and white. And what Shakespeare is saying is he's saying, look at this other side of things. Yeah. And it's never simple. Right? It's never, ever simple. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, we can switch gears now, maybe line it up, talk yeah. about Sondheim. Sure. Um, the other Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The musical world. The musical world. Uh, anytime I listen to Sondheim, it, it, Into the Woods is, you know, no exception. I often think to myself, well, that sounds hard. That sounds hard, too. Well, that, that was hard. <laughs> There's a difficulty with Sondheim, isn't there? And, and, and the music and, and some of the timing. And there's kind of got to be a perfection if you're going to get this right. And uh, you've got kind of a key role in this play. I'm wondering if maybe you can talk about some of that pressure. Yeah, it's, um, it's challenging material, actually. Yeah. And, um what appears very simplistic, some of it sometimes is very intricate and very mm -hmm. precise on the on the melody line or, or um, how the lyric hits at a certain place in the notes. And I say this all the time to young people, if, if I'm ever, you know, teaching a class about the work of doing Shakespeare as mm -hmm. well as doing musical theater, because I think they're very similar in the sense mm -hmm. of how how one scores their text. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the same thing in a soliloquy in Shakespeare about the argument that's happening at the beginning of a speech, the conclusion at the end of it, the sort of iambic pentameter of things in Shakespeare, the stressed, unstressed syllables, mm -hmm. um, where Shakespeare has given you the clues within the text to tell you how to play the moment. Mm -hmm. All of that is also in the work of musical theater. Yeah. Um, why a character holds a certain note at a certain length or expresses themselves uh, at, at a, you know, a certain note or pitch is the exact same thing. And it's challenging. And it's also, I find, those that can do it well yeah. can really do anything because it requires more than just sort of standing there. Mm -hmm. You know, you have yeah. a lot of different muscles being at play. And... For Sondheim, I haven't done a whole lot of Sondheim. I'm continually amazed by him, and I, I'm a big fan of his work. Yeah. Um, the nature of how the melody and the lyrics sort of fold in together 
that it none of it is by accident also yeah. i find that it's yeah. all with purpose and specific and it's sort of you you're the actor's job to make all that look easy in yeah. the sense of hitting the notes but also having a dramatic journey w within it um, when that craft becomes transparent the audience is going to stumble over it right it's, yeah it's got to just move yeah essentially and this piece is an is a great piece i think because you know, obviously it examines fairy tales and, and grim, the sort of grim fairy tales, but it puts a realistic bent on them about stakes and consequences mm -hmm. that for every action, there is a reaction. Yeah, no matter how much magic or whatever is going on in the background, right? There's always, that's some, there's always going to be repercussions on the other side. Yeah. And um, I love that about it. And it, it, it's very human and the way that he sort of brings that element of fairy tale and the imagination, the stuff that we as human beings sort of see as a sort of heightened thing or that it doesn't really relate to us, he kind of brings it down to our level to yeah. make it a very human emotion, specific stakes, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's also interesting playing the baker because, again, another story that's about fathers and sons yeah. and about... Um, how you parent in many ways. That's kind uh, of a rite of passage there too, much like in, in Henry, right? I it mean, is, yeah, very much so. And a lot of the plays deal with that about family in this season, in our in our lineup. I don't know, it's great to be inside. It's great, yeah. I mean, both these plays, looking at Into the Woods and Henry IV, it's great to sort of sit outside one of them and sort of look at it from the outside and sort of structure the piece in, in a certain way. And then to uh -huh. be on the inside of it, doing the same thing yeah, in, yeah. in a musical form is really um, challenging, compelling, and I would imagine that it fun. is. I want to keep it for just one more question, if you can stick around. Yeah, sure. I like to ask, selfishly, um, I want to know when you knew, uh, if you had a moment, if, if, if you were eight years old and, you know, doing Oklahoma, as you mentioned, in third grade, or right, when did right. you know you wanted to center your life around this stuff? I, um... I can't. I don't know if I can really pinpoint one particular moment per se. More of a progression um, of, of things that kept kept happening, maybe. Yeah, you know, when I was, uh, it was interesting. I was my my parents divorced when I was about eleven years old, and before that time, I was very much a sports nut, and I was mm -hmm. very into baseball, and I wasn't even thinking about any type of you know drama or anything yeah. like that, other than maybe the drama that was going on. And our, our family yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I remember I changed schools and I took drama as an elective. Uh, and I was at a new school and it was sort of a new thing for me as a, you know, I was 12 years old. But it unlocked something in me about people being together and uh, the imagine imaginative, imaginative spirit of things. Something about that was changed me. And... Um, I still played sports, and but then I started to sort of take drama, and you know, I'm sure my mother says that I was a very dramatic child all along. <laughs> Who knows? And same with my dad too. We, uh, we play the hands we're dealt. Right? Yeah, but yeah. I think that that was just one of those things that that stirred me into a different thing of taking drama and unlocked something in me. And um, I remember I took drama as an elective, and my drama teacher she like dared me to audition for the play, <laughs> and so I did. And then she ended up casting me in the lead role, and it was like, <laughs> uh, I think having had that experience, I think it was just like one of those things where you knew that I enjoyed doing this. But it wasn't until later in high school, and I really thought, wow, you know, I, 
I think I could maybe do this as a career. Mm-hmm. And then that sort of started later and later, you know, as I, I grew up, just getting into college and, you know, as one you go down your life's path. And that sense of doing what you love became really important to me. And yeah. I knew that I loved doing that and wanted to sort of have a life in the arts. And I think that started probably in when I was in high school. That's amazing. Primarily, but... Oh, thank you so much again, Brian. You're, Absolutely. It's uh, enlightening getting oh. to talk to it's all the amazing people that kind of have a hand in this collaboration you're talking about. Oh, I appreciate it greatly. Yeah. That's good. Excellent. Tune in next week on June 18th to hear our conversation with Jeremy Mann, director of Into the Woods. Please send in your questions for Jeremy by June 13th. The following week, on June 25th, we'll be talking with Brad Carroll, the director of this season's production of Comedy of Airs. Please send in your questions for Brad by June 20th. If you found this podcast through iTunes, you can find more information on the Utah Shakespeare Festival website, www.bard.org, under the News Media tab. <laughs>